Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning through the merits of Christ, and we come in Jesus' name, knowing that you will not turn away your Son, nor the work of his hand. And Lord, we are the product of his, his saving grace, his love, his sacrifice, and we, we thank you for that revelation, and we want to praise you for the evidence of that revelation this morning as we turn to your word and see how your spirit works in your people to glorify your name on earth and one day in the future in your presence. Help us to feel the weight of your word this morning and to be not overwhelmed, but filled with your spirit and compelled to study, to share, and to Rejoice in the truth. I pray this would happen today in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be heading back to Philippi with the Apostle Paul. And if you can recall, um, we left off at the very beginning of the letter. And so I'm going to back up and sort of run at it from the beginning this morning. Uh, The letter to the Philippians begins with Paul relentlessly praying for the saints. And we can see that when we begin this reading this morning in a moment. Paul's prayers are focused first and foremost on giving thanks to God for something. He's giving thanks to God for the perseverance and the participation of the saints at Philippi. He's giving thanks to God for their fellowship, their faithful fellowship. And and as I was studying this this week, and looking through this text and considering how I should pray through this text myself, I I considered our fellowship here. I considered the fellowship here at Sovereign Grace and and how I can praise God for this fellowship. I considered your faithfulness to God and to His Word and to this church. And as a result of considering your faithfulness, I was driven to praise God for each and every one of you. And as I considered where we need to continue to grow in our faithfulness, I was driven to petition God on behalf of all of you. And where I was driven to do this, I was also driven to consider why we do this. We do this to pursue the glory of God through the church. And we want to do this. We want to pursue God in prayer like the Apostle Paul relentlessly. I think there's a great model here for us in this prayer. I think Philippians 1, 3 through 11 gives us a biblical pattern of relentless intercession. We can see here that the Apostle Paul relentlessly praised God for their faithful fellowship in verses 3 through 8. We can see here that the Apostle Paul relentlessly petitioned God for their continual growth in verse 9. And we can see that the Apostle Paul also relentlessly pursued God for their spiritual fruit to mature in verses 10 and 11. Today we're going to confine our time and our our study to verses 3 through 8. And Paul begins here by relentlessly praising God. Praising God for the work that he is accomplishing through his church. Let me just say something to you as a church. Nate and I can do this as well. We can praise God when we see the evidence of God's grace empowering your lives. When we see your faithful attendance, your faithful care, your faithful love, your faithful pursuit of one another, not only on Sundays, but on Wednesdays and on weekdays and on late nights when people are hurting and in need. 
we can relentlessly praise God for that faithful fellowship that we see in you. That's the work of God in you. And for that, we want to praise him continually. Always is the way the Apostle Paul will put it in a moment. It's amazing that he can do this always because you have to consider where Paul is at at the moment. He is in prison for preaching the gospel, suffering for the sake of the saints. Yet he is relentlessly driven to praise God because that is the heart of the Apostle Paul. He wants to see how God will be praised throughout every avenue of life and he sees that working out in the lives of the saints as he sees the good work that God had began in them bringing forth ten years worth of fruit in their lives through their faithful participation in the gospel with him. He knows that God was the one who began the work and God is the one who is going to complete the work not only of redemption, but of God-exalting praise through the saints' active participation. See, there's, there's something really big going on in your participation this morning. Your participation and your partnership in this church even is, is being done and driven, I hope, in anticipation of the day of Christ Jesus where this work, this partnership, this participation will be rewarded. It'll be rewarded. And Jesus will be vindicated. The Jesus that is not praised and honored and glorified now on earth, one day through your participation, will be vindicated and praised on earth and in heaven and under the earth and wherever His glory prevails. The Apostle Paul was driven by that, that desire to see God glorified through the work that he's accomplishing in his people. And that's what we see in Philippians 1, 3-8. We see Paul's relentless passion in this text. Let's look at the text and read it together here. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always, relentlessly, in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, Paul says, their participation, their partnership, their partaking of this grace with him empowered him to defend and confirm the gospel that they united with him in. And he says that that stirred up something in him that resulted in God-exalting love for them. Verse 8. In this text, we see Paul relentlessly praising God for the faithful fellowship he sees in this church. But he's, he's praising God for the ultimate reason and for the immediate result. Paul is relentlessly praising God for the ultimate reason 
for their faithful perseverance in verses 3 through 6. And Paul is also relentlessly praising God for the immediate result of their faithful participation in verses 7 through 8. Let's begin at 3 through 6. There's where we, we begin this morning because Paul is here relentlessly praising God for the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason for their faithful partnership. The reason they're faithful. He's praising God for the very reason that they are remaining faithful and persevering in the faith with Paul through times of difficulty. That's what 3 through 5 address. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Every time, relentlessly, every time he, he calls to his mind this church, he thanks God, he praises God. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer, and this is a, this is a praise at this point, my prayer with joy. Because, there's the reason why, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, from the time the church was planted until now, ten years later, this church was faithful. This church was a faithful partner of the, the Apostle Paul in his ministry, in spreading the gospel, in testifying to the truths of the gospel. And as a result of that, Paul says, the very fact that you are persevering with me in the midst of difficulty is a testimony that you are all true recipients of this grace and this gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what drives Paul to relentlessly praise God always on behalf of this church. You see, your, your perseverance in the faith doesn't just testify to your salvation. It testifies to God's amazing grace in your salvation that compels others to praise God on your behalf when they see the evidence of that worked out in times of difficulty. Trials come and prove the faith of the believer. They're ordained by God to testify to His power and His mercy and His grace that perseveres in us as a result of His grace to us. And that's Paul's relentless praise here. He is praising God for the grace that is evident in this faithful partnership. And I praise God for the grace that is evident in this faithful partnership that I see here at Sovereign Grace. Paul is praising God because it is God who is working in the saints, in their hearts. Paul is informed in his praise by the truth about God and His Word. Paul knows that our perseverance our obedience, our faithfulness, our continuation in the gospel and in ministry is a result of something supernatural that God has implanted in us by His favor. He knows that God is the author and the finisher of our perseverance, of our faith. He knows that because He's informed by God. He's informed by the Word. He knows something about God and that drives Him to praise God. He knows this. He knows he knows that God the Father is the initiator of our salvation. God the Father sends God the Son to live and to die for us. And then sends God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to unite us in His church. To seal us. To confirm us. He knows that even our faithfulness is empowered by the Spirit of God Himself. So he's attributing all praises to God for the faithfulness of this church. And so do we. We praise God for your faithfulness. Paul doesn't praise God for their faithfulness. He praises God for the faithfulness of God that's persevering in them. It's evidence of God's power and God's might. Paul understood that God the Father, just 
think about this for a moment. Paul understood theology, and his theology informed his doxology, his praise. Okay, And that's the way it should work here. When your mind is informed by the truth, you will praise God in amazing ways. Because you'll see things and you'll discern things through true knowledge and understanding of God's word in a way that will drive your heart to relentlessly praise God for the miracle of grace that's at work in the lives of the saints. And here's what he knew. Paul knew this. Paul understood that God the Father draws us. And he draws us through God the Son, Jesus Christ's shepherding hand and his sacrificial work. And he also understood that God the Holy Spirit is what is empowering us to come and to repent and to be faithful and obedient to Christ. He understood that because he understood the revelation of the Word. God has revealed this to us in Scripture so that God would be praised through the faithfulness of the saints. God receives all the glory. And he, he wants us to recognize the faithfulness of, of believers. He does want us to do that. That's what Paul's doing in Philippians. He wants us to recognize it, but he wants us to recognize the source of it. He wants us to acknowledge it. Acknowledge the evidences of grace that you see in one another's lives and then point to Jesus, who is the source of it, who brought it to you, who brought you the sacrifice that saved you, that brought you in and united you to God by His grace what John 10 tells us. Let's look at a couple of texts that will teach us about the doctrine of perseverance. It's not the perseverance of our own strength. It's the perseverance of God in us, drawing us, saving us, sealing us, empowering us, making us obedient to God for His glory. 10.14 says this. This is Jesus speaking. It's through His shepherding that we are brought in. That's what He's going to get at here. I am the good shepherd... I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will, emphatically, they will listen to my voice. That doesn't say they might. This good shepherd gets his sheep. So, there will, will be, will be, emphatically, there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, and that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The good shepherd gets his sheep. The good shepherd brings them in through his sacrifice. He lays down his life in verse 15 for his sheep so that they would be saved and brought into the flock. That, that echoes back into Philippians. He is praising God in verse 6 about their continuation in the faith. Their completion will come to pass because God has drawn them through the work of the shepherd. And he will have one flock. This is going to happen. We will persevere to the end because God has decreed it. And that should motivate us to pursue it. We work because He works. His work is brought to pass through His miracle and His grace and His power, but He uses us. That's amazing.
We can see that God is the source of our perseverance further on into John 17 when Jesus prays on our behalf. This is an eye-opening prayer. We see that the source of our salvation and the source of our continuation, our perseverance, is in what Christ was doing here in His intercession. We see why Paul is praising God for the perseverance of the saints here. We see why Paul knows that we will keep the Word. We will obey God because God is at work. That is the result of God's work. Evidence of your salvation is revealed in this text. Evidence that God has granted you something and doing the work of regeneration and working in your life and the evidence of that will be that you will keep the Word because that's what Jesus prayed for. The source of our perseverance, the source of our continuation is Jesus. He persevered. He was obedient. His righteousness is imputed to us. Therefore, this prayer will be answered. Jesus was relentless praying on our behalf here. Look with me at verse 1. When Jesus, when Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Magnify Your Son. Glorify Your Son that the Son may magnify You. Glorify You since You have given Him authority over all flesh. To give, notice, He has the authority to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. Oh, wow. The source of our perseverance is God's gift to the Son. God gives us to Christ. Christ accomplishes our works on our behalf so that we could glorify Jesus in the end. Here is eternal life, verse 3. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work. He accomplished it. He is the end of our salvation. He is the one who completed it for us, and we have it imputed to us. He glorified God on earth by living the life we could never live, being obedient to God from the heart so that we could be accepted by God and redeemed in the end glorify God because of this work. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people, specifically, whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Church, if you long to keep the Word, if your heart is to keep the Word, it is because God has given you to the Son and the Son sacrificed His life on your behalf. You were given back to the Father as a result of the Son's great love for you. That's why you keep the Word. That's why you persevere in the faith. All praise belongs to God here. Look at verse 9. Jesus continues to relentlessly pray for us. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, 
Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. We are kept. We are obedient. We are continuing in the faith because of this relentless petition on our behalf here. They're yours. You gave them to me for a purpose, to magnify your greatness and your grace. God be magnified. Aren't you glad Jesus prayed this prayer? He prayed this prayer, and you received the blessing of this prayer because of God's initiating grace. You will persevere because Jesus says this is the case because you were kept to glorify God's name. Now, this should have an effect on us. It should, it should humble us this morning like it did the Philippians, I believe. And it should motivate us. It should thrill you to know that Jesus didn't just die for you. He died to glorify Himself through you. And not through your passive salvation, but through your obedient perseverance and participation in the ministry He's placed you in, which namely would be this church. And then through this church into your personal life. That's why Paul is rejoicing. He sees that happening in the church at Philippi. He sees them being moved personally. They're dealing with, with problems in the church in chapter 4. They're dealing with caring for a man who sacrificed his life to come care for Paul in chapter 2. Their immediate context of participation has affected everyone personally in this church. And that testifies to God's purpose. Each of you individually are chosen, but you're all placed into one body. And then locally into local churches to magnify Jesus here and through your participation with one another in this partnership that is ordained by God before the foundation of the world to glorify His name in the end. That's what Paul's rejoicing about in Philippians 1.6. Go back there with me. In 1.6, Paul states that on the day of Jesus Christ, this work that God initiated will be completed. God's completed work will be revealed on the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 6. And I am sure of this. I am absolutely confident. There is no doubt in the Apostle's mind. This is as if it was written by the hand of God because it was. As he inspired by the Spirit, he says, I am absolutely positive of this. That He, namely God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. His absolute assurance for your salvation, your perseverance, your persistence in the faith is based on the very initiating grace of God that was enacted on your behalf at the beginning of your salvation. God is the source of the good work in your life. The good work namely being salvation. He will bring it to completion. Paul knows that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He knows that God will complete the work he begins. And that work he begins, Paul also understands, is not a passive work. It's not passive. It's a persevering work. It's the good work of salvation that leads to the establishment of a congregation. See, he's talking about both in this text. 
Sometimes we just read this text out of its context and we think it's just talking about salvation. No, Paul has in mind the salvation of individuals placed into the body of Christ. And that work will be completed. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against this work. Now, if you are in Christ, you're in the church, he's not going to prevail against the work of your salvation either. You can be confident of that. This is why we persevere in the faith. God said, I will glorify myself through a body, a body that represents Christ, and one day will be purified by Christ completely, body and soul. That's what brings God praise. That's what brings the accomplishment of earthly ministry and the following of His will in our hearts. We are driven by this promise that God who brought us into salvation and placed us in the church will establish His glorious name through our perseverance. And we look forward to that. That should drive us toward each other and toward the lost. Look with me at Romans 8. Romans 8, 31. This, this good work that God established in saving you and then placing you into His covenant community, into the church, this good work cannot be thwarted. Nothing will prevent the completion of God's mighty work of establishing His church and glorifying Himself through this body of believers that are here because of the love of Christ. 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, you can't have God any more for you than God electing to save you, sending His Son to die for you, sending His Spirit to secure it and seal you. You can't have any more of God for you than that. That's favor. That's mercy. That's unmerited favor towards sinners. So if you've got all that, who can be against us? The sovereign king of the universe, creator of this galaxy and all the galaxies that are in our universe chose you and he chose to glorify himself through his son's death on your behalf so that at the end you and I will stand before his throne on the day of Jesus Christ and glorify him forever having received the reward of his work it's amazing he says verse 32 he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things now he's speaking of spiritual things future things future grace future fellowship future inheritance in christ so he says if god's done all this verse 33 who shall bring any charge against god's elect it is god who declares a person righteous judicially forensically through the imputation of christ's work it's god who justifies who is to condemn the judge has already made the verdict clear at the cross. Your sins were dealt with. You are forgiven. It is, as far as the east is from the west, you're his forever. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, Jesus did something more than die for you. He lived for you. He lived the life you were called to live. And he testified to his perfect life in the resurrection that's what he says more than that this jesus he says who was raised who is at the right hand of god who indeed is interceding he is relentlessly praying for us who shall separate us from the love of christ so he asked the question 
Who or what can separate us? Who can prevent the completion of God's work in Philippians 1.6? Who can, who can do this? What can do this? Shall tribulation or distress, verse 35, or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, humanly speaking, if my life was threatened because of the gospel of Christ, all those things would prevent me from persevering on my own. Wouldn't it stop you? I don't think anybody here is super spiritual on their own. I mean, if your life and your livelihood was threatened through tribulation, through trials, or through distress of someone kidnapping your child and saying, if you don't recant of Jesus, I'm going to kill this child. Through being attacked physically. I mean, all these things, famine, being starved out because of your faith in Christ. If it was left up to us physically on our own, none of us would persevere in this. We would all recant so why is it that the church for over 2,000 years has persevered under this kind of trial and tribulation? Is it because the church is made up of just super people? Or is it because of the super abundant grace of God that's persevering in us because of Christ? That's what he says. He says it gets worse and worse. It, why do you keep persevering? Verse 36, as it, was, as it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But he says this, verse 37, No, answering the question of verse 35, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, not on our own, through Him who loved us. Our perseverance is based on God's love for us through the sacrifice of His Son. It was manifest to us in time and space. Verse 38 sounds a lot like Philippians 1.6. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation including you will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ or through Christ Jesus, our Master. Our Master secured this love for us through His obedience. And it was imputed and granted to us so that we on the day of Christ will testify to the wonder of His grace and will continue doing that forever. And I think that's what Paul sees happening in the church at Philippi when they partner with him and they persevere. Paul knew that it was God who planted the Philippian church and it was God who was producing the fruit of His grace through the work in this church. Their work made evident God's choice of them. Your work makes evident God's choice of you. Good works follow Redemption, salvation. And they're evidence of the one who saved you that will persevere in you and glorify himself through your good deeds. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. Through their perseverance, the perseverance of God in them, these saints continued on in the face of much trouble and trial and labored with the Apostle Paul. That's what he's rejoicing over in verse 3 and 4. 
He understands that God doesn't just initiate salvation. God also fuels salvation and brings it to its fullness and completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He makes it evident. Go back with me to Philippians. Go to chapter 2. In Philippians 2, the evident result of God's work is really clear to us here. In 2.12, here's the evident work of God in our lives. Here's what it looks like. It, it is the willing and the working out of God's good pleasure in our lives. You want to know if you're in the faith? You want to know if you're truly regenerate? That God's truly chosen to save you by His Son's sacrifice? This will mark you out. This will identify you. Is this going on in you? Are you willing and desirous to work for God's good pleasure in everything you do in your life? in school, at your home, at work. Is this power empowering you? Look what it says, 2.12 and 2.13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That, that simply means this. Work out means cultivate. Cultivate. Cultivate what you already have. Cultivate the gift of salvation. Stir up the gift that you've been given. That's what it means. Display it. Okay? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out what God has given you and do so reverentially, recognizing that anything good that comes out of you comes from God, not from you. Do it with fear, reverence, and trembling. Because, he says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you. Wow, he's saying, look at this. Cultivate this gift, and when you see the, the fruit of it, recognize this is God. This is God, the God of the universe, the creator who sustains this universe and all the molecules therein. He is working in you to glorify himself, both to will and to work, according to verse 13, for his good pleasure. If you long for this, and the Philippians long for this, they long to be partners with Paul in the glorifying of Jesus Christ through the preaching and promotion of the gospel. They long for this good work. They were exercised about this. They were sacrificing everything on behalf of Christ to see this good work be accomplished. And this is causing Paul to see them and identify them as true believers. You know, anytime you see in Scripture where the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, is identifying marks of true saving faith, we need to pay attention. The saving grace of God is evident through the things that Paul points out here. God is at work changing them, making them partners, willing partners, willing to work for God's good pleasure with the Apostle Paul, united together in one local congregation. God is planting His church where He wills. God will protect His church that He plants. God will purify His church and produce fruit in His church by His grace. And he does this for his glory. And that's what Paul is telling this church. I see God's work in you through your willingness to partner with me in this ministry. And he's telling them, God will preserve this passion you have. God will be praised through this passion you have. God will display his power and grace because of this passion you have that he gave you through his good work on the day of Christ. Just think about this for a moment, church. You have to read this text, 1.6, in Philippians 1.6. You have to read this text in light of the eschaton, the end. 
the end of your salvation, the purpose of your salvation. You have to read this from an eternal perspective, not from a temporal perspective. He's not just praising God because they're getting through. No, he's praising God because God is going to complete a supernatural work in their life that will testify to his greatness and his grace at the day of Jesus Christ. Just feel the weight of this text. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the judgment day, at the day of Jesus Christ. Church, there is something bigger than any of us here can imagine going on in this text. There is something bigger than we can imagine going on in our weekly gatherings. God is preparing us today, Wednesday, Bible studies. He's preparing us in this fellowship for that day. This fellowship is predestined for something massive. Your attendance here this morning isn't inconsequential. It is, it is part of God's decree that one day will bring Him glory because you had a desire to gather with saints, hear the word of Jesus, testify to His greatness, and rejoice over it now and for eternity. This is massive. This verse can be applied to our church. This is a future event that we are longing for here. And it's massive for us. Just think about this. The day that Paul's talking about is the day that the crucified Jesus comes in authority and in power to judge the wicked and reward the saints. This is the day Christ judges the world, and this is the day that every single knee, those who have died in the past and those who are dying presently and those who will die in the future, everyone will be resurrected to bow before King Jesus and testify to His glory and His power and His authority. And some will only do so under His judgment. Others will do so under His grace. And if you do so under His grace, it's because He chose to grant you what you didn't deserve to testify on that day to His greatness. This is a day of revelation. We see a revelation of that day in the book of Revelation. Turn with me there. Revelation 19. This is what the day of Christ will look like. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness... He judges and makes war. That's Christ, church. That's Jesus, the judge, making war on the wicked, those who rebel against Him. He's described this way. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on His head are many crowns, many diadems. And He has a name written that no one knows but Himself. No one knows this name but Himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in in blood it's dipped in the blood of his enemies and the name by which he is called is the logos of god the word of god and look how the people look that are with him the armies 
of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and their riders and all the flesh and the flesh of all men, both free and, sm and slave, both small and great. Those are the people that Christ slaughters because of their rebellion. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. The hearts of wicked men are revealed on that day. The glory of Jesus is revealed on that day. And not only that, we can look over a little further in this text and see that the glorious work of Christ toward us is revealed on that day as well. Look at verse 6 of chapter 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Philippians 1.6 Those who will be completed in Christ are in that multitude. You're there. That's you. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, or give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I believe this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Philippians 1.6 that willing and working for God's good pleasure is done here, and it's considered righteous deeds, but it's done here, if you'll notice, in verse 8, because something had been granted to her. We are granted the blood-soaked righteous robe of Christ. The fine linen we wear is because of the bloody linen that He wore. And we are made bright and pure and we persevere and we do righteous deeds and we do good works and on that day we glorify God because of Jesus' ultimate gift to us. But we do not pursue this passively. We pursue this actively in light of that day. Confessing the Lordship of Christ through our obedience. Confessing that we really are children of God through our perseverance. Just think about this. On this day, 
all of God's children, all of His elect, all that He has chosen from before the foundation of the world, all of those children will be gathered together like living stones to form the completed temple of God. And there, they will glorify Him forever. And that glorious temple, that glorious temple, it depended and began upon one, Jesus Christ, doing what we could never do. And God creating through His work the church. God created us through the blood of Christ to magnify His grace eternally. That's what's going on in Philippians 1.6. That's what he's saying in that text. The text is not just about you getting through, making it to the end, I'm persevering. No. This is about you being used as an instrument of God now until eternity and in eternity praising Him forever for what He has done on your behalf through His Son. That's why Paul is driven to relentless praise for the faithfulness of the church. That's why we should be driven to relentless praise when we see faithfulness in each one of us. This is the work of God, church. Your continuation, your faithfulness, your obedience, that is God's work in you and it testifies to the supernatural nature of His power at work in us. The anticipation of the day of Christ should produce an immediate result in us, an active result in us. That's what Paul goes on to praise God for in verses 7 and 8. Here we see Paul relentlessly praise God for the, number two, the, the immediate result of their faithful participation. Look at verse 7, Philippians 1, 7. He is relentlessly praising God for this immediate result. And, and you, you, I, I looked at this and looked at this and I thought, why does he say this? And what is the immediate result of the faithfulness of others, the faithful participation of others? What is that immediate result? What does it look like in the church, in our lives? And he says, here's, here's, here's what I saw and here's what the result of what I saw was. It is right for me to feel this way about you about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The immediate result of the faithful participation of this church affected Paul deeply. It affected Paul in ways that moved him on to obedience. You know, we don't often think about Paul being encouraged in, in the Scriptures, but he is. He's encouraged by the evidence of God's grace in the life of the saints. The faithful participation of the Philippians is really, I believe, what immediately resulted in fueling Paul to continue on at this point in the prison in his ministry. Receiving a letter by the hand of Epaphroditus who nearly died to bring him the letter made the heart of the Apostle Paul, who may have been downcast in that prison, though he was standing up for the Gospel, he still could have been downcast. I've been that way. You've been that way. Even in the midst of the, uh, an apologetic argument, you've still been discouraged. But then when you see the evidence of Christ's work in others that comes to you in a manifest way, you are lifted up. You are fueled. You are able to overcome this difficult situation. Because you know God will persevere in the saints. His work will be completed. This fuels Paul here. 
I think it fueled him because in their participation, he was reminded once again of God's power and His grace. Just think about it. Who would want to partner with Paul in ministry at this time in his life? You have to understand, to partner with the Apostle Paul at this time in his life was either dumb or dangerous. But if you believed in God's sovereignty, neither of those applied. They knew that God was in control of Paul's life. They knew that the message he preached was true. And they knew that it could lead to prison and that it could lead to death. Yet the Philippians, who were empowered by God's grace and His Spirit, they embraced danger for the glory of God. Church, that should not have changed in 2,000 years. There is great danger in faithfully following Jesus. You will be persecuted. That's a promise. But the Philippians knew that there was nothing more important than following Christ. And they were willing to sacrifice imprisonment, death, impoverishment for the sake of participating in this dangerous journey with Paul. That's what verse 7 is about. Verse 7 is about Paul's hearing. Paul had a hearing in Rome where he had to give a defense for the gospel, defense of the gospel. There the gospel was confirmed. He clearly articulated it. And whatever the verdict of Rome was, everyone who partnered with him would feel the weight of their either condemnation or their freedom. They would either be guilty with Paul of anarchy, teaching a false religion, or they would be set free to continue proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And they willingly embraced Paul in the midst of this danger and supported him. The Philippians faithfully gave to him financially. They gave out of their poverty to him joyfully. That means they sold stuff they had they couldn't afford to sell to give so that the ministry of Paul could continue on. You see that in 2 Corinthians 8. They openly associated with Paul. They identified themselves with him publicly, and they did so by sending their own man, Epaphroditus, to take this message to him. That faithful participation, I think, affects the Apostle Paul in prison. And I think it affects him powerfully. I actually believe, after reading this text and reading through the book of Philippians, I actually believe that this, this church changed Paul's life. I believe God used a church to motivate the Apostle Paul to continue on in the faith. And I want you to know something. Your participation, your participation in this church does the same thing. Your participation changes lives in our church. It encourages us. It moves us forward. It drives us toward the goal of glorifying God. We should long to participate and partner together in the promoting of the gospel, growing together, even in spite of the cost and the opposition that will come our way for standing up for Christ. Every, every New Testament church, every faithful church throughout church history, and every maturing Christian in Christendom were willing to do this because they were empowered by God's grace. It's a good testimony of where your heart is. Look at 1 Thessalonians. You see an example of those who count the cost 
and pursue Christ, pursue the ministry, pursue serving others, pursue laboring together for the sake of His name and for the good of those around Him. That's what happens in Thessalonians 1, 2-10. Paul again is giving thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in, my, in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this work that God was doing in them, affected others. Even though it was going to cost them, it was going to be difficult. Verse 4 says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And here's the result. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, Jesus, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but also, he says, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we would need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul saw the evident and immediate result of their salvation through their continuation in the face of this kind of difficulty. He saw that, and he's praising God for it because it affected not only those in Macedonia and Achaia, but those who were scattered throughout the world who heard about this message that transformed their lives. And church, that, that happens with you and I too. When we are faithful, when we are faithful followers of Christ, faithfully participating with the church in the ministry He's given us. Church, individuals, moms, dads, singles, students, Never, ever underestimate, never underestimate how God will use your life to glorify Himself. Never underestimate how He will use your faithful participation in this local church to change the lives of others for eternity. Every conversation you have that's based on the Scriptures, based on the glorious Word of God, is an eternal conversation that will never come back void. It will accomplish God's purposes. When you stand up for Christ and preach the truth, tell the truth, stand for the truth, it will affect others. And when you faithfully participate in the church and encourage one another, it will faithfully encourage and promote the gospel throughout the world through us. Listen, when you, when you serve in the back, when you serve by helping clean, when you serve by encouraging one another, when you counsel one another, when you attend Bible studies, when you show up here to just talk and visit with one another in fellowship and spur one another on, all that is eternal and it will be something that God will use to help encourage those who need to persevere further in the faith who may be going through times of difficulty see Paul saw the ultimate reason of their salvation and that affected him immediately and it resulted him in him continuing on in his ministry in verse 8, he says, here's the effect, the immediate result of your work, the work of God that's edifying me through you. Here's the immediate result. This is God. God is my witness, he says. This is the result. I yearn for you all with the, the heart of Christ Jesus. 
Oh, King James says, the bowels of Christ Jesus. The internal passions of Christ were the Apostle Paul's because of the immediate result of their continuation in the faith. Their perseverance caused Paul to yearn for them, to serve them, to continue on facing opposition on their behalf. We see that happen in Philippians. Go to Philippians 1, 19. He yearns to serve them and continue serving them because of their faithfulness. And even though it would be hard and difficult, he is shaped by the evidence of God's grace in their life. And his love is motivated by that to continue on, to do what it says in 19. For I know that through your prayer and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage... Now, he's fully encouraged and and full of courage here because of the evident work of God in their lives. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's the immediate result of the church's faithful participation. For to me, verse 21 says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which... I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith. He's staying the course. He's pursuing this difficult ministry, though he would rather die and go home to heaven. But because this church stood faithfully and participated with Him willingly, He is spurred on to continue serving them in the face of opposition. Your continuation in the faith, your perseverance in this church does the same thing to everyone here. It spurs us on. The evidence of Christ's work in in their loving participation here intensified the Apostle Paul's love for them and his willingness to suffer for them and glorify Christ through this persevering of his own faith. And I want you to know something. Let me end with this. Your participation, individually and corporately, your participation has the same effect on us as it had on the Apostle Paul. Nate and I can't do this on our own. We know that. We're incapable. We're like Paul. We would rather depart and be with Christ. But when we see the work of God's grace evidenced in your life and your faithfulness and your participation, we are driven to say, but it's better to be here on your account so we can see your joy in the faith grow. Your love grow. Your peace grow. Your effectual work in the world grow. That's that's our desire. And I don't want you to forget that. Your participation and your partnership is necessary for us. And I'll go further. It's decreed by God. It's ordained by God. But it's desired by us. We need one another. We need faithful partners. We need to continue on giving evidence of the work of Christ in our lives together as a local body. So that on that day, on the day of Jesus Christ... 
Everyone here will be gathered in that multitude singing, Hallelujah, our God reigns. And He has clothed us with pure and clean, righteous robes because of what He's done to unite us to Himself and to put us together to edify one another in this local church. So let's pray relentlessly that on the day of Christ, our partnership and our participation here well, number one, exalt God. Let's pray that by His grace, it will have been used to edify saints and evangelize the lost. Let's pray that we exalt God through our love for one another and our love for His glory and to grow in that. That's what the Apostle Paul continues to tell us to do in verse 9, which we'll look at next week. But let's pray in anticipation of next week that the love of Christ will be manifested through our faithful participation and we will bring praises to God as a result. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we come before you just amazed. I am, I am just, I'm overwhelmed by this text. The promises that are here, the provisions that are here, the, the results that are anticipated here. We long for the day that we can stand before you and testify to this great work you began in us as a church, as individuals, with the multitudes of heaven. We long for that, and as we long for that and we think, think heavenly thoughts, I pray that we're not passive. I pray that that will motivate us to faithfully partner with one another in this glorious work that testifies to your grace that is at work in our lives and that we will rejoice in for all eternity. I pray, God, you will receive praise today as we ponder these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.